Good morning, Genesis family. Visitors, welcome. We pray that you see Jesus and come to know him more today. Um, the elders have graciously given me the task of studying and preparing for the message today to share with you. My wife, Courtney, and I, uh, the lovely one just reading, um, we have been members here for going on six years or now. So um, we just started leading a group this past year in January with the McGoys, Zach and Rachel McGoy. Uh, great friends, great partners in ministry, and just a sweet family. Um, we actually launched this group, our community group, out of a previous community group with the Lormans, Tim and Jordan, which they're, I think they're serving the children's today, which is appropriate because I wanted to honor him, and he wouldn't want me to do that with him in the room. So <laughs> uh, Tim is a faithful brother. I learned a lot from him as a leader and as a man of God, and I really appreciated that time with them. We were with them for years in community. And um, as I approached him about starting a new group or multiplying, uh, he prayed with me about it. We met over lunch and talked a lot about it. Uh, took it to the elders, of course, to get their counsel and approval. And then we took it to our group and, you know, took a vote. Who wants to go with Tim? Who wants to go with me? And I lost tragically, so, um, which is fine. I mean, I don't want to say it was rigged, but the, the outcome was very clear who, you know, it made most sense. But anyways, we started a new group, and thankfully there was others uh, to join in from another group. So it's been a blessing. Uh, I, I wanted to say that, though, to really just point out how faithful of Brother Tim is. And, uh, again, a great man of God. And I appreciate him. And when I heard Justin last week kind of just very low-key pitch, if you're looking for a community group, his is right down the street. I just want to say, if you're looking for a community group, ours is right down the street in the opposite direction. And just a little further. And if you go past us, then you run into the Lormans, and that's great, too. Wherever you go, there's other groups, too. Wherever you go, you'll be fine and be, you'll be blessed. Point of the story, connect. Get into a group, okay? Um, so, and as we're continuing our sermon on community matters, this week we're getting into the discomfort in community. And I want to say something as a preface to share a little bit about us. If you've been around Genesis for any amount of time, You've seen me and my wife at uh, elder-led prayer or any gathering where the elders are offering to pray for us. We're raising our hands saying, yes, please pray for us. We're not shy about airing out our struggles. Um, we see the value in it. We know the value in it. And, but that doesn't make it easy, okay? I got to say, when I raise my hand and say, hi, I have a problem, and it's not my wife, I think it's me. That's very difficult. It's not easy. It's uncomfortable, um, but really, it humbles me, and it alerts you, my brothers and sisters, to say, okay, what do we need to do? Do you need just like a listening ear, a, a, an unbiased third party so we can kind of process this? Or do you need wise biblical counsel? Yes. Or do you need a divine intervention? Right now, we need to pray for the Spirit of God to just move on your behalf. Yes. Like, we've had all of those things, and by God's grace, we are still growing, and we are very grateful for you, our brothers and sisters. Um, and it's not easy. So I just, that's the preface I wanted to make. So here we are, um, breath in our lungs, another chance to just glorify God and enjoy the life he's given us. And I want to say, I don't know where you've come from today, how you're feeling, where your mind is, what's been going on. I want to pray, though, that Jesus meets you right where you are, and he speaks directly to you through his word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Um, thank you that we can feast on the bread of life. May we drink from your living waters today and it satisfy us and nourish us. May your sword pierce our hearts 
and discern between the thoughts and the intentions and the motives of our hearts. God, would you help me to speak what you would have me to speak? And would you open the ears of your people so they could hear you and respond? Jesus, um, show us something about ourselves. And most importantly, Lord, show us you. Show us something about you. In the mighty and powerful name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. So we've established by now, to do a quick recap, which I think is very helpful for our context, we've established in this series, we're week seven, that God created us for community. He has designed us to thrive in relationship with one another. Uh, we see that back in Genesis. Um, we are dependent people. First and foremost, completely dependent upon God and his grace. I mean, it is in his grace we live and move and have our being, correct? That's what the scriptures say. So then secondly, we also need brothers and sisters to fight with and cry with, to, to laugh together, to talk with and walk with, to challenge and sharpen each other, to build and create together. I also got a note, just side note. You may know me as like the resonant poem guy or like spoken word guy. It's gonna, there's, it's gonna rhyme from time to time. Okay, j just, just know that. It's not gonna be a full length poem though, so we'll keep going. Um, an important note here, and the way we are to interact with one another, um, I call them the one another's. I've heard other um, pastors call them the one another's. It's, it's all the commands. There's over 50 of them in the New Testament on how we are to treat one another and interact with one another. And Justin did a great job last week in Romans. He went through quite a bit of them, and there's even more than that. And he hit on a great note last week about the genuineness of love and the authenticity of it, which speaks to the heart. It's not just this list of do these things or make sure you're serving or encouraging or praying for people so you kind of get this tally mark of like, oh, I'm a good Christian, or I didn't check any boxes today, so I'm a bad Christian. That's not the heart. This is the heart of God on how he desires his family to interact. This is the culture of the kingdom or the ethos of the kingdom of God and how his children should treat each other. So don't see it as this list to justify yourself or not. It's this is who you are and who you were made to be and how we are to be with each other. If I could get a bottle of water from somebody. Um, but anyways. <clears throat> oh, and Jesus, of course, models this and displays this perfectly, right? In every word, in every deed, in everything he does. And so we see in this light, in that context, uh, through this series, that community is not optional. It's a necessity. It's um, not something you kind of check in or check out. Uh, it's not just a, a ecclesial structure or a program, you know, that you can sign up for or just, nah, I don't want to be in relationship with my brothers and sisters. If you want to follow God, if you trust in Jesus Christ, if you have been born again with a new heart, you will be ever growing in pursuit of and practice of this manner of living and Christ-likeness. Looking beyond your needs looking outside of your desires and thinking, what does my brother and sister need? What do they like? What do they dislike? What would love them well? So that's where we've been. That's what Han, the foundation Hans has been laying and Justin touched on, and that's where we're going, that is the, uh, and that's where we're at today. So that kind of sets us up for the question and answer. I'm going to give you a question and answer right up front so you know what we're dealing with, and we're just going to tease it out and work it out the rest of the time. The question is, why is it still so hard for us to live in community even after salvation? And notice the phrasing of that question. This is intentional. It's not, is it hard? No, that's assumed, okay? We're not polling you guys saying, hey, Genesis, is it hard to live with one another? Thank you so much, brother. 
Um, is it hard, you know, to walk patiently with people or to put up with their difficultness? Or is it hard for you not to be difficult sometimes? You know, like, that's not the question we're asking. It's assumed that it's hard. But why is it hard? That's a nice cup holder. <clears throat> it should be easy, right? So the contrast to that question is we're saved. We're born again. We're filled with the Spirit, living in community, sharing life with one another. should be easy, right? It's messy, though, right? Because we're messy. We're people with feelings and emotions. I mean, most of us, some of you don't feel anything. Just bleep, bleep, bleep. Um, I'm sorry, that was kind of rude. Uh, that's probably more me, really. So just I'm the hypocrite making fun of you. Uh, but to my point, some of us don't have a sense of humor. So some of us are very opinionated or argumentative, right? Um, or, or I'll be nicer. We just have different preferences, different likes and dislikes, strengths and weaknesses and all these things. And now here's an important thing. These things might seem like the problem, right? And they certainly help explain some of the complexity. But our problems are much deeper than, and bigger than just personality differences and other petty hills that we die on. So the answer to the question is community life, the way God has designed it, requires us to be concerned for the good of others and have people know us. And the flesh pulls against this. Even as I finish that sentence, I know I do, and maybe some of you do as well, kind of cringe a little bit, like, have people know me? Like, really, really know me? Yes, more than where you work, more than where you live, but what makes you tick, you know? What ticks you off? <laughs> what brings you real joy? What are you scared of? What are you anxious about? How do you struggle with sin? Since we do all struggle with sin, because if you don't, you're a liar, the truth's not in you. But we're not going to go there. To intentionally have a conversation past sports and past the weather, which are all fine, not condemning. But let's be honest, it's hot. And the, well, I mean, the Astros are doing great right now. So, And I was born in Texas, so I love them all. Texans, you know, everybody rockets. So, but let's, so sports are fine, <laughs> weather's fine, but to go beyond that, even asking somebody how they are, maybe ask them, how has your walk with the Lord been lately? How has your study life? How has your prayer life? How, what can I pray with you about? To have those kind of meaningful conversations, that kind of openness and vulnerability and really humility, it's not natural to our culture for sure. It's not natural to our flesh. So it just doesn't seem normal to the believer. Even though Christ displayed it perfectly, the Bible spells it out clearly, and the Spirit testifies to it consistently. It just makes us uncomfortable. But it's more than discomfort. So this is what the Apostle Paul, we're getting to the passage, was getting at in his letter to the Galatians. Or you can call it the rebukes of the Galatians, because pretty much the whole context of the letter is him rebuking them for following another gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but they sure do act like it. They, uh, he spends most of the book really laying down the foundation of what they had originally believed and what they were originally preached and taught that you cannot justify yourself. So we're opening this up with the gospel right now. Like we're not going to tie everything up with the gospel at the end. Like I need you to know right now, you cannot justify yourself by your works. There's nothing you contribute to your salvation. You are saved by grace through faith alone in Christ. And this is what Paul is laying out to the Galatians who have wandered away from this faith and this belief. There's nothing you bring. If you contribute anything, it's sin and messiness like we were just talking about. You have been given new life. You're no longer bound to your old ways of sin and, and that self-gratifying, self, 
um, glorifying way of life, but you are actually now free to love. You can love now. You're free to love and serve. You can serve God and people and each other. Genesis, this is the freedom that we are called to. This is the freedom that we are to believe in. This is the gospel that we are to hope in and follow. So the passage we're about to look at, again, that my beautiful wife beautifully read, uh, shows us our problem, gives us a solution, and brings us to a point of action. So let's look at Galatians 5, 13 through 17. It says, you were, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So, in that right there, we see that there is much more going on than community life is hard or uncomfortable just because some people just don't drive together, right? I mean, or some people are more difficult to get along with. There's some fairness to that. But the deeper and more pressing problem that we must address, that we're here to deal with in these scriptures, is that the flesh wars against this. So first big bold point, the flesh wars against God's design for community. Now we need to address this real quick and then we can uh, carry on. What is the flesh? It's not skin and bones in this context. Uh, your body is not warring against community in this moment. Um, there's other times where Paul refers to the flesh of like he's walking in the body, temporary body. But it is this old natural way, the sinful broken thoughts and de- deceitful desires that we have. Or to put it plainly, it's the part of me that does not want what God wants. And there's more than just tension here. So they are in opposition, 5.17 says. You see this in 6.8. It starts to flesh it out and saying, if you sow to the flesh, you reap corruption. You sow to the spirit, you reap eternal life. Two very different uh, conclusions (laughs) and pursuits. Romans 8 affirms the same thing. It says to walk according to the flesh is death. But to walk according to the Spirit is life and peace. Again, two very different conclusions that they come to. Um, And I I want to pause just here for a brief moment. Hans gave me this passage, gave me this uh, topic, and pretty much stuck me right in what I would say is some of the biggest tension of the Christian life. So we need to identify that right now of this flesh and spirit battle. We have uh, Christians, for us in the room, we have been saved, beautiful salvation, by grace, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the scriptures alone, for the glory of God alone, right? Now, why do I still just want to be alone or care about myself alone? I'm still in this flesh. I'm still in this, I have this brokenness, this old man that's warring against everything the Spirit wants to accomplish in my life. And this includes everyone in the room. This is important to to take just a moment. I understand, like, so I grew up in church. Um, I memorized 
all the memory scriptures. I went to all the Sunday schools, went to all the Bible camps. So as a young person, I understand the battle to the other young people in the room. Like the flesh, the passions as a younger person are just raging, and they're raging against what the Spirit wants to do. If you've, if you've learned about God or if you've read or your parents are teaching you in the ways of the Lord, you begin to know what's right. You know, you begin to discern, okay, this is good, this is evil, or this is fruitful and beneficial, this is going to hurt, but there's something in you that is just screaming, oh, you, you need that. It turns like what you want into what you need, and it's like, oh, that'll make you feel better, that'll taste better, that'll satisfy you, that'll comfort you, that'll fulfill you, and it's, it's so loud. You're like, but I thought the Bible or my parents or, you know, the spirit in me is just kind of saying that's not true, but it just it doesn't, make, it doesn't make sense. There's such a conflict there. It's so hard. And I just want to say right there that then that's when the enemy comes in. As soon as you choose the sin, or as soon as you choose to just fo- go, follow the flesh to make those choices, to kind of give in to the easier route, um, the enemy comes to heap on shame and heap on condemnation. He starts mocking you. You're a Christian? Oh, you follow God. Oh, sure you do. After doing stuff like that, immediately he comes to just strip you down. And it's, it's the enemy. And I, I want to say something that helped me in my walk and is helping me today even to consider them as lesser desires. We are tempted when we are believers with lesser desires of the flesh. And I say that specifically because it seems so loud and they're so big and they're so great, but really they are overpromising what they can give you and they always underdeliver. They never give you what they say they can give you. And so those desires and the, the fruit of that is so much smaller in comparison to the Spirit of God dwelling in your mortal body, crying out, Abba, Father. Like he wants you to be in communion with God so badly. That, that desire, that connection is so much greater in comparison to, oh, I want this stuff right here. I really need that. That'll make me feel better. You know, like, so that's why it's like to consider, oh, this is a lesser desire. It seems really big. It's really loud, but it's actually smaller. And I don't know. I hope that blesses you. To speak to the, my adults in the room or my seasoned people, however you want to phrase it, um, this, I would really, and I got this from another seasoned person to, you know, to verify, okay, am I speaking respectfully here? Um, your flesh might not be wild passion, if it is. See, advice A. Um, but if, if it's not wild passions out of control, maybe your flesh is saying, uh, just stay kind of in your lane and you have a great routine going on. You have a great uh, comfort level. Why would we want to disrupt that, you know? Don't get stuck in your ways. Don't pull back and check out. Uh, we need you. I'll say, I need you. My wife, ladies, she needs you. There's a generation of people that need you. So as you grow further in your walk and you, get, you might get more comfortable, might get into a better routine and like, it's okay, let the Lord use you. Don't become unusable or unreachable or unavailable. We need you. So I'll say that, so the flesh wars, right, in every direction, at every turn, in all ways, they just want different things. Um, two ways specifically in regards to community and relationship. One is the flesh wars against opening yourself up vulnerably with other people. Uh, you might be offended, right? That's not going to be. Or you might offend somebody else. You might be misunderstood. Like, no, 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 I didn't mean that. I didn't mean to offend you. Um, things might not go just right when you're opening yourself up. It's a very vulnerable position. Or you might be really encouraged, 
you might be ministered to by the Lord through another person, and it's exactly what you need in that moment. Either way, the flesh doesn't want it. The flesh doesn't want to get hurt, also doesn't want to get blessed. The flesh just wants what it wants, and it can't see any further. The flesh also cares about pursuing and caring about and seeking to know other people. I mean, because the more you know somebody, right, the more you care about them. And that's the last thing a selfish person has time for is somebody else. I mean, come on. Uh, the more you see someone as a vague, just kind of unimportant entity or stereotypical being, you know, maybe a political party or a social class or whatever, it's just, it's easier to ignore them. It's easier to treat them as non-human. And the fleshly benefit is now I don't have to consider another perspective. I don't have to question my beliefs. I don't have to be held accountable. The flesh is, oh, this is great. Um, but if you bite and devour one another, verse 15 says, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. So I can, we are, listen, so we are part of one body and we need the entire body to be working in unity. The same body with the same spirit, with one head, the Lord Jesus. The right can't say to the left, I don't need you. The feet can't say to the head, let me lead you. Imagine a people. This is Edward Welch. Uh, he's a biblical counselor and uh, author. I don't know the full scope of his work, but he has a book called Caring for One Another. And this quote out of it is just a helpful quote. Imagine a group of people that move toward each other active rather than passive, uh, loving more than fearing rejection. They look glorious. They attract the world. And this is an example of what the Apostle Paul calls putting on Christ. Or for our context here in Galatians 5 is, you are called to freedom. Don't use it for your flesh. Through love, serve one another. Our freedom in Christ, his spirit working within us, is greater than our struggle with sin and our discomfort in community. So, if the flesh wars against community, then by the Spirit, community flourishes. Amen? Collectively, in Christ, Paul says, you were called to freedom. And if you search that out, if you look in the rest of Galatians, you start to see how beautiful this freedom is. It is sin confessing and sin forgiving. It's life restoring, heart and mind renewing, identity giving freedom. And Paul knows this, and he says, and he knows our response to it, the, the temptation, the sinful response is to use it for ourselves. He says, don't use it to serve yourself, uh, not to isolate yourself. Don't ignore people and just, or maybe critique them quietly in your head, kind of ridicule them up here, and just avoid them or discount them entirely because they don't think and act just like you. And I'll just be honest, that's deeply convicting for me. That is my sinful disposition that the Spirit of God within me faithfully wars against daily. I have to throw myself upon him and, and, and pull myself back and listen to the Spirit as he's saying, press in and don't, stop judging, you know, stop, get out of your head and serve others. Be in other people's business and you get out of your own. This is in fact, actually, the other gospel, in a sense, that Paul's referencing here, uh, it's, it's a justification. You're either justifying yourself by what you're doing. Again, kind of, I'm doing all these things, and I'm doing it right, and I'm, just, I'm seeking to justify myself, or I'm critiquing other people, comparing myself, and now I feel better about myself because I've tore everyone else down. 
Or I'm just taking the freedom in Christ thing and just doing whatever the flesh wants to do. Either way, it is another gospel. It is selfish. It's not selfless. The spirit builds up. The flesh tears down. The spirit serves and strengthens and the flesh devours and consumes. Piper has a great quote on this. Um, John Piper, not my daughter. Uh, She has great quotes, but not like this. Um, (laughs) He says, love is motivated by a joy to share our fullness. The works of the flesh are motivated by a desire to fill an emptiness. Let's hear that one more time and think about it. Love is motivated by a joy to share our fullness. We have been filled by God. He has impacted and changed our lives. And there's something in us that wants to get that out, wants to share that, wants to, you know, bless others and give to others. The works of the flesh, this is how you know that you're in the flesh, is there's, you're motivated by a desire to fill an emptiness. There's a void. There's something lacking that I need to use people to get something. I need praise and admiration. I need fulfillment. I need satisfaction in a substance. I just, I'm so searching for something because I don't have it. I'm lacking in some way, which if we are the people of God filled with the Spirit, we are not lacking. Let's look a little bit more at the liberty that the Spirit brings because by the Spirit community flourishes in this freedom that we have. Uh, Verse 14 says, the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Paul's echoing Matthew 22 when Jesus was approached. They asked him, what's the greatest commandment? He says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, on these two, all the law and prophets hang, meaning it's all summed up there. And Paul's just saying, yeah, so the fulfillment of that is loving each other. Like if you haven't experienced the love of God, if you haven't been uh, impacted and brought to freedom from yourself and your self-serving ways, you can't love your brothers and sisters. But if you have been called, then by the Spirit you can serve through love. Now, verse 15, so that was Spirit. Now he transitioned to flesh. In 15, if you bite and devour one another, you'll be consumed by one another. Now, this is not cannibalism, as my friend Zach pointed out to me. Um, bite in, means a deeper wound. It's just, it's not a flesh wound. It's, it's something that pierces deeper emotionally or spiritually, okay? Cutting someone down verbally and emotionally or mentally abusing them. Help us, Lord. Devour, devour is to strip them of all dignity, of all humanity, of all value. And what's the result of a relationship like that? It's consumed. It is no more. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Verse 16. Amen. There it is. Much easier said than done, but it's there. And so verse 18, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And this is a comforting verse because he's really making a distinction here between those who are walking in the flesh and those who are walking in the Spirit. Those who are under the law and those who are free to love. Those who um, are still trying to justify themselves and those who are justified by faith alone in Christ alone. Verse 24 plays out and kind of connects all these ideas. And he's saying those who belong to Jesus, a.k.a. those who are justified by faith, they have crucified their flesh and along with its passions and desires. 
Now, I'm going to let you guys work that out in community group, how you crucify the flesh. I think that will lead to very fruitful or difficult or uncomfortable conversation. So, but I do want to point out there's no legalism here. There's a fervent intensity in which we don't pursue exalting ourselves in every little moment. You know, we don't do it in the big moments for sure because that's obvious. But then we're like, did you see how I didn't do it then? It's like, what about this moment? You, the little moment you just grabbed for yourself there. We don't pursue ourselves in every moment, but we are fervent in pursuing others and therefore exalting Christ. We are either in the flesh exalting ourselves, or we are in the spirit exalting Christ. And Christ, for in Galatians 6, 2 through 5, it says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And Christ, you know, Christ has a law? I would ask that question. Yeah, it's the one where if you sin, you chop off your hand. But I'm uh, just kidding. But he says to bear one another's burdens. Again, it's this outworking of being a believer, of being saved, being filled, and you're walking in the Spirit you're going to bear one another. You're going to be outside of yourself. You're not going to be serving self, exalting self. You're serving others, exalting Christ. If anyone thinks he's something, he's, when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Don't be deceived. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each one will have to bear his own load. And we have to look at that verse for a second because it confuses me every time I read it, so I'm with you there. Um, but what it's saying here is you can't blame anyone else, okay? You're responsible for your own actions. You can't say he or she made me do it. Or they didn't love me, so of course I fell into sin. You know, or that group of people didn't bear with me, so of course I just abandoned the church or abandoned the faith. Or so I subscribe to a faith that just kind of alienates itself from the body of Christ. Don't compare yourself to anyone. Let each one test his own work. Stop looking at other people. Look at the word of God in the mirror and say, am I bearing the fruit of the spirit in my life or am I walking in the flesh? This section creates a great dynamic where we are responsible for ourselves and help each other. <laughs> Bear one another's burden. It's, should I do this or that? Yes, do those things. Um, and don't think too highly of yourself in the midst of it, like, oh, you're struggling with that. Yes, please, let me come down from my tower. I can help you with that, you know. <laughs> you poor soul. Um, a quick note on the fruit of the Spirit here and walking out this is from Bart's um, Ephesians study. If you're a lady, join Candace's thing before it's over. Bart's is almost done. Uh, so, but it's been a blessing. And we pointed out early on in Ephesians where it talks about being filled or being blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. And that I, like, what is a spiritual blessing? I mean, it's not a material blessing. We know that. So it must be something we can't see or can't necessarily hold on to, like love or joy or peace or patience. And all of these fruits and all of these blessings in our life, where, again, we're not lacking that. We have been filled, it says, with the fullness of God. That means there's, not, there's nothing missing. So we're, it's not like we need more joy or more peace. or more, We pray for patience a lot. It's not that you need more of that. You actually need more submission to the Holy Spirit, more obedience to the Lord to see those fruits that are there come to fruition, if I may. Do not use your opportunity for the flesh. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Press in through the discomfort. And this is great emphasis here. Paul at no other point uh, uses the analogy that he is in labor pains for you to understand what he's saying, which I'm sure he understands completely, right, ladies? Like what you guys go through in the birthing process, he gets it. So his analogy is perfect. Like, 
I was looking forward to hearing the scoffs and seeing the eye rolls there, so that was encouraging. But he also says at the end of the letter, he's like, look with what big letters I'm writing with. Like, it's dramatic and almost silly, but he's making a point like, please listen. I hope you get this. Like, it's, it's over the top for that reason because he knows what we think about God and how we view ourselves or what we think about God is the most important thing in our life. And what we believe, what we think, is directly demonstrated in how we act and how we treat others around us. To say one thing and do another is hypocritical. To know a lot but care a little. To climb up a fence and then just sit in the middle. Your neighbors are watching and wondering, what could he possibly be doing? Right? We discredit ourselves. And our relationships become bankrupt because the checks we wrote while preaching are void. Everything you do is a sermon. Everything is speaking. All of your activity or inactivity. All of your passion or passivity. It's consistently carving out an image that is a reflection of the God you serve. So, in my opinion, um, I want to make another point here. And we'll, There's blessing in the uncomfortable. And in my opinion, I would just say the community... And the blessing of it, it's just one of those things you don't know until you, you've seen it and tasted the goodness of it and experienced it. I mean, we preach about it. We sing about it. I pray the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to the beauty of it. But until you've had a friend that sticks closer than a brother, where their forgiveness means more than any unforgiveness or bitterness from an enemy, or their, their rebuke is more welcomed and appreciated than any admiration from some stranger. It's just, it's one of those things that's not easy to imagine, you know? Um, I'll share a, a quick story of, of our experience and testimony. Uh, we were blessed by a, a, co- a couple, probably 10 years, our senior. Um, they took us in. We had just moved out of state, and they let us come into their home. I was interning at this church, which was unpaid, and the church kind of made it to where they blessed the interns by providing housing through their members. So there was members who would take people in very sweet and let them into their lives, let us intrude and just kind of disrupt their lives, which was a beautiful thing. They had two sweet little kids, like a two-year-old and a three-year-old, I think, at the time. The little girl, there's still a, a picture of me holding her. Like, I'm just historically, you put a baby in my hands and things get uncomfortable quick. You know, like they're not like, oh, it's Derek. He's holding me. It's, I looked at her. I'm like, this is okay, right? You know, and she's looking at me like, why, mom, why am I in this guy's hands? And I'm like, that's fair. But by the end of our time there for over a year or so, like I fell in love with them, of course. And they actually inspired us. I was like, you know what? I'm ready for, for us to try to have children if the Lord would let us do that. Because I was not ready. Courtney was ready from day one. Derek needed a couple years, okay? Just got to say that. Uh, But the Lord moved in that moment. The people, the husband and wife, we saw a gospel-centered family. And again, I grew up in a Christian home. My parents loved me. But in hindsight now, and just being older and having my own family, seeing that play out where they introduced the gospel in every little, what I would call almost irrelevant moment, I'm like, oh, wow, like it's in everything that we do and say and you're loving and shepherding them. It was, they're just a beautiful uh, example to us. And they were generous to us. They sat, um, so I wanted to paint that picture so you know how beautiful and sweet community is and how joyful it can be. And in the midst of that, 
uncomfortable moments. Uh, like when I told the guy he should quit his job, you know, because he needs to love his family and be around them more. Um, and the context is very, very important because that might sound like decent advice, but in the context, um, we're sitting down with them. They're just sharing, you know, he, he's really busy because he travels a lot with work. He's a top executive, like high up guy, important dude in his company and provides for his family very well. And I'm living in his basement for free. Okay. Do you see the context here? I'm, I'm in his basement for free, sipping on his wine, saying, you know, maybe you can find a different career path or quit your job. And he's like, okay, why don't you get out, you know? No, he didn't do that. He was very kind to me, very gracious. Um, so hear me, you're going to get bad advice in community. Or hear me here, you might be the one giving the bad advice. <laughs> might happen. Just saying, be open to the possibilities. (laughs) Another great example is me and my wife. We sat down with them. Again, they were modeling this openness and vulnerability with us. I'm like, wow. Um, And they respected us as brothers and sisters, not like this weird parent-child dynamic. So we sat down with them, and you've all heard us bicker, go back and forth. That's, we're kind of vomiting on them. Like, it's her fault. It's his fault. And all these things. And then um, the wife so lovingly, patiently... uh, sincerely leans in and says, Derek, I don't think you're loving and fighting for your wife the way your warrior King Jesus does. <sighs> you know, like, what do you, what do you say to that? Like, like, in that moment, by the way, that is exactly like the language. I know my warrior King Jesus. I know his intensity towards me and his intentionality and love for me. And I know it for her. But to, for her to say that to me in that moment and point out, I'm not fighting for her. I'm fighting with her a lot. I'm not fighting for her the way my warrior King Jesus does. <sighs> You know, that that just, that cuts deep, but it's exactly what the Lord wanted to say to me, and it impacted me and opened my eyes of like, oh, I take a lot of other things very serious and I'm passionate about them, but I'm not passionate about that. I'm preserving myself rather than fighting for my wife. So you might get bad advice, you might get the perfect advice of what the Lord, again, he has many means of blessing and working Uh, reaching you, but a lot of times he works through other people, okay? And I want to say, I hope hope you hear me in this, that we need to just challenge ourselves. We need to press in through discomfort because it's not about us. It's about Jesus. And Jesus tells us to be about others. And Jesus knows our discomfort. I mean, you've had somebody say something hurtful to you, I'm sure, and those words stick with you, you know? Have you ever been betrayed by somebody? Like the feeling of that betrayal? You're like, why? Like explain yourself. Why? Yeah, you want answers. You want, uh, you want something, somebody to say something. Or maybe you want like to distance yourself. You don't want to see that person. I can't believe you would do something like that to me. Jesus knows our discomfort. He, they denied his deity and disrespected his authority, mocking him. He knows those cutting words. He knows betrayal. I mean, Judas is the obvious one, but think about Peter. Jesus, Jesus literally locks eyes with him in the moment and the act of Peter betraying him, which he said, I love you. I'll never, I would never do that. And he looks, looks at him. Got to be one of the biggest side eyes in history of just like, are you kidding me? You know, while Jesus is in the act of taking his punishment. Yikes. He knows our discomfort. 
He is, like Hebrews says, our high priest who empathizes with us. It's empathy, yeah. Isaiah says he bore our weaknesses. He, the chastisement was put upon him for our peace. That was put on him. Don't put that on yourself. You were called to freedom. Don't use it for your flesh. This freedom, again, is the beginning of learning who we were truly meant to be. To live by the Spirit is to be free from the bondage of sin, made into the righteousness of God. To live by the Spirit is to be free from the condemnation that plagues the mind and now alive by the Spirit of God, giving us the mind of Christ. We're free from the darkness that consumes the soul to death and now empowered by the same Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead so that we could put to death the deeds of the body. That's freedom. That's walking in the Spirit where there's love and joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and self-control. And it's uncomfortable because of our flesh. When you want to pull back, I want you to walk away with this. When you want to pull back, that is the very moment you should press in. You hear that? When you don't want to speak up and answer that question in group, or share something heavy that's really been on your heart, by the Spirit, speak up. When you want to have a meaningful conversation with somebody and you're like, ah, I don't know, they might be busy or I don't know exactly what to say or we're friends on Facebook so I know most about their life, you know, press in. When you get an invitation for a community church, uh, function or social gathering or uh, D group, community group, anything like that, and you want to just pull back and kind of coast for a while, press in. When you have an awkward conversation with somebody, or somebody offends you or you offend them and you want to distance yourself and just pull back, that is the moment you must press in. And again, try. If reconciliation is needed, try that. Or maybe you just need to pray and look for another opportunity, maybe with somebody else, and press in. Don't give up. Don't quit. When you want to pull back, when the flesh wants to pull back by the Spirit, press in. We... Uh, Jesus is redeeming us, like, like we've talked about in this series. He is sanctifying us. We are showing Jesus to each other, and we show Jesus to the world. And it's hard. It's hard, even though we've been born again, because we are still in this broken world. We are still battling with our old self and our old ways that we're very familiar with. We are still in the middle of God directing every event and all things into the culmination of bowing before our glorious King Jesus and him reigning forever and ever and we being at peace with God forever and with each other. And we're just not there yet. All of our meaningful relationships will have some discomfort. Because we are never truly safe in each other's hands. We will let each other down. And yet, we are called to lay ourselves down for one another. There was only one set of hands we were safe in. And he is our good shepherd. Tenderly caring for the flock and knowing each sheep intimately. He is our heavenly father. The same all-powerful, all-knowing God who created the world and knows every nook and cranny of the universe, also knows you and is powerfully providing and protecting for you with only good in mind for you. This is good news. And the grace and mercy he has shown us through Christ on the cross, by his spirit, we will strive to be more like him. 
strive like to be more who we were made to be, more human, bearing the image of God, reflecting his goodness and beauty to the world around us, pushing through the discomfort, walking by the spirit, denying the flesh because of the great love with which he has loved us. Asking ourselves, how can I love my neighbor? How can I serve the person next to me? Or you could start here. What is one thing that someone else needs? Can I meet that? And when I want to pull back, that is the very moment I should press in. Amen? Let's pray.